Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast. How's it going, Jeff? It's going good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And uh, before we get rolling, I just want to make an announcement that uh, if you haven't picked up your tickets for the Nightlands Festival, they're on sale. And you might ask me, what is the Nightlands Festival? If you love cosmic horror, weird fiction, gothic horror, anything in that realm, and you love really cool music and awesome artwork, then this thing is for you. And uh, it's the inaugural Cadabra Records event of the year. And it's st- you know, tactically scheduled on the days that they don't have Necronomicon. If you're a fan of that kind of thing, there's Necronomicon. Then the years they don't have it, they're going to try to have um, Nightlands Festival. It's June 2nd and 3rd at the Cathedral in Hamilton, New Jersey. So as you guys all know, I live in the Garden State. I'm going to be there. I did an episode with uh, Chris Bozzone, who is uh, one of the composers last week on um, on Everything Went Black. So you can check that out. We talk all about the label and the, re- the releasing of uh, red text with musical accompaniment. That's basically what they do. It's, it's vinyl versions of an audio book, essentially. Hmm. So that's a big event happening June 2nd and 3rd down in Hamilton, New Jersey. And, um, you know, there's going to be a bunch of guests. Uh, John Paget is going to be there. There's going to be musical stuff going on. There's going to be, uh, you know, artwork for sale. All sorts of really, really cool stuff. And there's also, and you might be interested in this too, Jeff. I'm not, oh, yeah, I'm not, I already I'm not, am. I'm not assuming you're going to fly here from Texas, but you never know. <laughs> June 1st. There's a special event, it's a, stand, a, a standalone event that's connected to the festival. And it's uh, the release celebration of Pictures of the Apocalypse by Thomas Ligotti. And mm. as you guys all know, he has been very inactive over the last years. And this is his first work in quite a while. And uh, they're, they're releasing that book. I pre-ordered it months ago, so it should be ready to roll soon. And that's going to have a reading of, uh, of the poetry in the book. By I believe John Paget's going to be doing that. There's going to be musical mm-hmm. accompaniment with, uh, with Chris Bozzone. He's going to be doing a lot of that stuff. And it's going to be taking place at a different location. It's the Book Restoration Bindery in Haddonfield, New Jersey. And I'll be there for all three nights. If you're in the area, you want to come through, I'll be hanging out. Say hello. So go to cadaverrecords.com and pick up your ticket. I just wanted to make sure you guys knew that before we get going on everything. Wow. You know, I might have to make a trip out there for that if I can. Dude, you should. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, it sounds fun. Now, you're not performing. You're just going, right? No, I'm, I'm, I'm just a you know, fucking friend, friend of those guys. And, uh, you know, I'm helping promote. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not playing any music or anything. I'm just going to be there, you know, hanging out. Awesome. Always a fun way to enjoy something when you don't have to do anything. You're just there. Oh, totally, man. It's like I was telling, you know, I was talking about this a few months ago and I went to Germany for the first time as a, just a guy hanging out and how much fun I had instead of having to like worry about my gear getting, you know, through and having like, yeah. four other like degenerate dudes with me. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. got on the plane and le- got off the plane and fucking left and it was great. Yeah, 
it's, it's so much fun to do things like that. Yeah. Um, uh, well, you've been checking out anything uh, exciting other, other than what you just mentioned? Yeah, a bunch of stuff, actually. So, you know, we were talking earlier, uh, I saw the Infinity Pool, which was great. Oh, you did see it? Yeah, I oh, saw, nice. that, saw that in a theater. I did my Friday night, um, you know, jam, the late show at the AMC yeah, it's your thing, man. in Edison, you know. Yeah. Uh, I saw History of the Occult on Frightbox, and uh, I highly recommend that, man. It's uh, If you don't mind reading subtitles, you know, I assume everyone does not have a problem with that. It's uh, it's on Frightbox exclusively right now, and it's um, it's like this black and white Lovecraftian sort of horror thing. I know it sounds like a documentary, but it's not a documentary. It's actually a narrative. Oh, okay. I was just going to ask. <laughs> yeah. I also saw uh, The Borderlands. With that actually has two titles in the states, it's called Final Prayer, but the international title is The Borderlands, and it's a, a UK um, found footage horror film that has to do with these guys investigating this uh, creepy church. And of course, it turns out that uh, the, 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 uh, the, the priest has gone dark and is worshiping mm. some ancient entity that may or may not live beneath this church. Really that cool. sounds, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, it's cool. It was, you know, it's, I'd seen it before, and then uh, I was listening to um, Evolution of Horror, another you know, British podcast I listened to, and they were referencing that. And I was like, you know what? Let me, let me, um, let me, let me check that out again. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that podcast, Mike. You turned me on to it. You mentioned it a while ago, and I just started listening to it this week. I uh, listened to the episode you sent me. They did a whole series on folk horror, and I specifically listened to the Kill This one uh, first. Uh, oh, yeah. Great podcast, man. I, th- I think it's fantastic, man. And and they had Ben Wheatley on as an you know as an interview guest, which I thought was great. You know. Yeah, I'm glad that other people sing the praises of, of Kill List other than this this podcast. Uh, <laughs> it's literally, if you ask me, the best horror movie next to The Wicker Man ever made. Um, yeah. So it's good that other people are, uh, agree with me that, that it's, it's it's truly a great horror film. Yeah, and all, I mean, the Evolution of Horror crew, those motherfuckers are like on a different like sort of level because they're all like journalists and like work within that realm. So, you know, they have access to certain people, which is like, you know, like that people, the little people like us. Yeah. Don't necessarily, like, yeah. <laughs> we don't, we don't have, you know, we can't call up Ben Wheatley and be like, what's up, mate? Let's, uh, let's get on the horn and I want to talk to you about some stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, those, these guys actually know what they're talking about where I'm just rambling like a incoherent fool most of the time. Yeah. Um, um, a couple other things I saw, which is worth mentioning is, um, the treatment it's this Belgian crime film that uh, I don't know how I happened upon it, but it's like one of those like tough, like hard boiled, just this one's super dark. It has to do with like abducting kids and stuff like that. It's not necessarily a horror film, but the set pieces of it are kind of like silence of the lambs. You know what I mean? How like there's nothing supernatural about it, but it's clearly a horror film. Hmm. Nice. You you mentioned all kinds of good stuff today, Mike. Yeah, you know, and then we were talking about uh, Outwaters, which I was planning on seeing tonight, which I am going to see, but the the venue is going to be different. Instead of going to the AMC (laughs) Theater, I'll be watching in the comfort of my living room because it's uh, streaming on uh, on Frightbox now. 
Yeah, I'm watching that tonight as well. If not tonight, tomorrow for sure. A uh, lot, a of, lot of talk about this one. Uh, not quite as divisive as, as Skinamarink. This it's overall seems to have uh, more positive feedback, whereas Skinamarink was pretty down the line. Well, uh, not 50-50. It was more like 60-40. 60% of the people hated it and 40% liked it. Now, this this kind of ties into something else I wanted to just mention briefly. Like the Outwaters, my understanding is that it, it shares a little bit of a narr- narrative sensibility that with Skinamarink. And that there's um, Skinamarink, I would say, is part of that analog horror sort of vibe that's been going on, that subgenre that's primarily... Mm-hmm based online on various YouTube channels. Now, are, are you familiar with that term, analog horror? Uh, I, I am now, but it's, uh, I think it popped up when we were talking about Skinamarink, uh, yeah. which the episode's out now you can listen to. Um, but yeah, it seems to be like a newer term, you know, kind of like how elevated horror wasn't a term until like a couple of years ago. And, and this is like a like super underground, super DIY it's like very much like uh, you know anyone who's interested can contribute to this sort of thing. You know what I mean? And right. Through my um, research about Skinamarink, I, I ran across this uh, another series called the Mandela Catalog, which uh, mm. I, maybe some of you guys have heard of this. You know, like who are more apt to find things like this online than I am. But it's a uh, part of the analog horror movement, for lack of a better term, or, uh, brought to you by. Alex Kister, and uh, I caught a few of these episodes on YouTube. There's, just go to the YouTube channel, and this dude's got several volumes of this stuff that's available to watch now. And it's very—you can see where maybe you know this guy and the Skinnerink guy like are coming from the same place. You know, they're probably they're mm-hmm. young, younger people, like they're referencing stuff from like the 90s you know there's like um the sensibility of using handheld video old school like video equipment and you know nostalgic things childhood you know ancient fears that go back into your childhood and it's it's definitely worth checking out you know and and this um this uh mandela catalog thing is you know back from 2021 so it's not like this dude is ripping off uh you know skin or anything right so it's sort of like a creepy pasta kind of thing then that's exactly what it reminded me of it's like a creepy pasta ah. sort of thing cool well hey that sounds fucking great i'm into it are you still watching the last of us i am yes nice me too i finally caught up uh last night i think we're um, done with episode five what are your thoughts uh, now that we're five episodes in i dig it however um I'm a little too. Uh, I'm starting to get tired of the uh, the heartstrings. You know what I mean? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I I, I kind of feel like I don't feel like there's like really a lot of that. Like we were commenting how the relationship between Joel and Ellie is not really like they haven't had a lot of bonding moments. It's just sort of plot, 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 plot. Um. So I guess I kind of feel the opposite that you do. Well, I mean, they, there's like uh, the the episode with the with the couple. You know the gay couple. Um, yeah, yeah, that was that was a great like, episode. Yeah, with that diversion, it was it was uh, you know, I mean, you know, I know there's some asshole out there that's gonna be, oh, it's because they're gay, man. You're a homophobic. <laughs> yeah, right. Trust me, I am the least homophobic dude you guys will ever know. You know, trust me on that one. And uh, but I felt like a lot of that 
exposition i didn't really need to know any of those things like as far as the overall story you know i feel like that's like a big thing that could have been edited out similar to apocalypse now how in the redux version of apocalypse now there's this whole other storyline where they run into this like french colony there you know what i mean yeah 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 and and like you know it just i don't know it, it wasn't as tight i felt like the whole i know and i know it's a series it's not a movie whatever but it's like the whole thing just could have been tighter without that. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you at all, but I, I did really uh, love the episode. Uh, my problems with the show, I, and they're not a lot. Yeah, I guess these are just minor quibbles. Like, um, was when they got to the town, the the, the town. Where are they? They're in like St. Louis or something. Yeah. Um, it's just a few. You know, I don't want to spoil the show, but I also, you know. But I don't buy that actress. I forget her name. She's uh, she's from New Zealand. She started Peter Jackson. Her first movie was a Peter Jackson movie, Heavenly Creatures. I forget her name. I don't buy her as a big heavy. You know what I mean? Are you talking about the little girl or who? Or, no, 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 no. Like when, when they get to St. Louis, there's like a, a rogue leader. Like, oh, like yeah, yeah. Resistance leader. Yeah, we texted about this. I remember, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, I just, you know, like, she's playing, like, the the big bad, or at least she thinks she's going to be, but, like, I was like, yeah, I don't know if I'd buy that. I I don't know. I I Um, agree, man. She was totally miscast, you know what I mean? Yeah. um, She's great. I like her in pretty much everything she's in, but in this, I was like, "Uh, I don't know. You know, you don't do anyone any favors by miscasting them. I'll just say that. Yeah, I mean, because like as soon as she showed up on camera, I was like, all right, she's going to be like someone who takes care of people. She has like this nurturing aesthetic about her, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, But then, you know, she's like this vicious, like, you know, very Machiavellian sort of character. And that definitely did not work for me, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think the character's cool. I just maybe a different actress. I, I don't know. Uh, these are just my... I, overall, I'm enjoying the show. For a video game adaptation, it is uh, leaps and bounds above what what I thought it, it was going to be because I, I would say most video game adaptations are, are pretty bad. I think we should do a whole uh, episode with the three of us again when this thing wraps up for season. Yeah, I'd love to. That'd we'll, be great. Yeah, I'll get, get our, our ideas about this thing out there to everyone. Absolutely. A couple other things I've been checking out. Um, because of Skinamarink, I've been kind of on a David Lynch kick. Oh, okay. And I'm rewatching Twin Peaks The Return. Yes. Uh, I have not watched it really since its initial run. It, talk about divisive. I mean, people were pretty split on that when it, when it came out. And uh, I loved it when it came out. It's, it's pretty much what I expected it. To be, this is David Lynch's return to this world. This is return to the director's chair. He hadn't done anything since uh, 2006's Inland Empire, and uh, I, I kind of like compared it to like the Swans reunion. Like, if you want this like nostalgia trip of like this band you used to like revisiting their old hits or whatever, you're gonna be really disappointed. And that's exactly what Twin Peaks to Return was. It, it is not like the nostalgia trip of like, hey, remember how quirky and weird our, our show was? It was very much a david lynch you know 19 hour film you know yeah no i agree i i loved it i i, I revisit certain episodes i haven't watched it from the beginning though in a yeah. while and um yeah I, I i expected it to be exactly what it was like the modern version of what he's doing 
and you know if you're looking well once again exactly what you said if you're looking for a nostalgia trip you got the wrong guy you know yeah exactly uh if it's the last thing he ever does he went out with a fucking bang uh i love david lynch doesn't really do much anymore i think he's 80 now 79 somewhere there you know um i hope to see more from him but if this is it uh you know he went out on a very high note I can imagine him doing something else. You know what I mean? Cronenberg, you know, put out, you know, he's been active again, you know. Yeah, yeah, and his last film was was fantastic. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, well, maybe enjoyed is the wrong word, but I really liked it. Um, last thing I wanted to mention was, um, and I'm sure you've seen this, In Search of Darkness 3. Oh, yeah, of course, man, right away. I, I, as soon as I went up, I was like, all right, this is what I got to watch this afternoon. Sure. Yeah, it, yeah, we watched it in a few different. Uh, I think it took us like two nights to to get through the whole thing. But man, what a fantastic series! I I love, you know, you watch the first in Search of Darkness, and you're like, I've seen every single movie they're talking about. And the longer it goes on, the more kind of obscure they get to the point where I'm like, man, I hadn't seen a bunch of these. I I, I thought I'd seen every '80s horror movie there ever was. Yeah, that that's. You know, flipping the coin, and that, now we're talking about nostalgia. That that was, yeah, yeah I, I totally enjoyed it, man. And, and um, yeah, and of course, you know, I broke it up into a couple different sittings. But I got to say, one night, this is the kind of thing I put on, like, at the end of the night when I'm tired, you know what I mean? And I'm just kind of, like, getting ready to, you know, hang it up for the day. Yeah. So one night I fell asleep with it on, and when I woke up, it was still playing. <laughs> so you know, it was like... <laughs> Like I fell asleep on the couch, you know, and I woke up at like five AM or whatever and it was still on. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's quite long. It's quite thorough though. I, I like um I really like it. I hope these these keep going. I hope they do the nineties and then you know, the the early two thousands. I mean Yeah. One thing Skinnamarink showed us is Pete, there is a nostalgia for the nineties, which I think is maybe a little bit difficult for guys our age to, to think about. Cause that was like a, you know, a, the beginning of adulthood for yeah. us, not, not childhood, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was an adult in the nineties. Um, yeah, but you know, kids who grew up, you know, say like they were born 89 or whatever. Yeah. Now they're like approaching 40, you know what I mean? So it makes sense. And I, the nineties don't have a ton of great horror, but maybe I'm just not like thinking deeply about it. But I mean, I don't. I can't off the top of my head rattle off a lot of great '90s horror movies. Well, for maybe uh, for me, that's when I'd sort of discovered like the Italian films, like Giallos and and um, right, like more like Asian Asian horror films. And then towards the end of the '90s, that's when uh, all those French extremity films started happening. Yeah, was that the '90s? It was the late See? '90s, but we didn't really start. In a, in a, it wasn't more. It wasn't as well known in the states until after the 21st century, yet like 2003 yeah. or four. But I remember like 89, not 89, 98, 99, starting to hear about like Claire Denis and people like that. Right. Yeah. I, I remember like the early 2000s, like the big Japanese horror remake boom. Yeah. Like you had The Ring in 2002, and then uh, just everything else. Like for the next couple of years, everything was either a remake of Japanese horror or like deeply inspired by um so i'd love to see them tack of the 90s and maybe i'm maybe i'm misremembering i'm sure that i mean i'm sure i know there's great movies made of the 90s so I just you know not a ton of classics i guess well you know if there are films that we missed these guys over at uh in search of darkness i'm confident that they'll find it 
you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Great, great series, man. I really, really love it. Um, that's pretty much it, man. Hey, uh, I meant to ask you, did, um, mm. did you, uh, are you interested at all in seeing knock at the cabin? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, and my channel on. Yeah. Seen it yet? I have not. No, I don't leave my house. <laughs> it's, it's becoming a problem. Um, no, I did. I did want to see that. Um, I'm sure it'll be streaming in a, in a couple weeks. Yeah. Did you want to see that? Did you read the book? Oh yeah. No, I read the Tremblay book, uh, Cabin at the End of the World. Because I I, yeah. remember I was in a I was actually going to see Skinamarink, and I'm, they're showing the previews, and I was like, wait, this is uh, Cabin at the End of the World. Yeah, much better title, by the way. Well, that's the thing, man. And it's like at the end of the trailer, they have Shyamalan's name across the entire fucking screen, and I'm like, well, <laughs> they didn't even mention Paul Tremblay, and he wrote the goddamn book. And I was like, "What about Paul Tremblay? And what's up with changing the to changing the title to a f sentence that doesn't even make any fucking sense in, in a syntax kind of way?" You know? Right. Yeah. Uh, and and Shyamalan is he still a selling point to audiences? I mean, I I always thought that guy was kind of whack, actually. Yeah, he's he's made some good movies. He definitely did. The Sixth Sense uh, was was good. It was it's a solid movie. Uh, Unbreakable is fantastic. Yeah. Signs is Signs is pretty good. Yeah, um, no, he's got some good stuff out there for sure. But I, I always feel like maybe um, it's a recency bias thing with him where I feel like he hasn't done much interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, he always sort of like gave like his, his movies like this kind of Spielberg-y sheen or like maybe it's like the pro-faithness of his uh, films. Something about his movies kind of bothered me too. And yeah. maybe it was the hype too, like. When you uh, take that away from it and just go back and watch his older films, you're like, oh, these these actually are pretty good. Yeah, it's funny. He's that way, and and I know people love Paul Tremblay, and I I like Paul Tremblay. I'm not saying that I don't like his writing, but he's like, he's kind of like the bad company of writing writers for me. You know what I mean? Like really. Like, uh, you know, I never think to listen to Bad Company, you know what I mean? But it's like, yeah, if, I, if, I, if I hear like a Bad Company song, I'm like, oh, this is fucking sick, you know what I mean? This is, this is actually good. And I feel like Tremblay, and, and there are people who love him. And, and when I do read his work, I like it, you know what I mean? But it's yeah. not, I don't get stoked about a new Paul Tremblay book, you know what I mean? It's right. like, I'm like, sure. oh, I'll, I'll get to that someday, you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I, I heard he's a really cool guy, too. I know some people who know him personally, and I'm like, apparently he's, like, really cool. That's why I'm just being honest, man. You know, that's all I got to say. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it should be streaming soon. We should check that one out. Yeah, I'm definitely going to see that one for sure. Yeah, right on. Uh, the movie we're uh, covering today, a little kind of a obscure gem. Before we do that, though, we got to shout everyone out. Of course, yes, I forgot. We got uh, Brandon Legion bringing you Horror Wolf 666 on Mondays. Tuesday, we have Jackie Smith's Into the Necrosphere, which is literally the only extreme music podcast I listen to. I have been listening to uh, the Heavy Hole podcast here and there, but Into the Necrosphere is where it's at for me. You know, every week I look forward to it. I was really bummed when Jackie went away on vacation, you know? Like, I don't give a fuck that he had a good time. I had a bad time <laughs> on a, without his show every week during the holidays, you know? Yeah, what a prick. 
<laughs> Wednesday is Everything Went Black, which I mentioned earlier, which you can hear all sorts of stuff on there, not just music. I have, you know, authors, you know, filmmakers, uh, just, you know, sometimes it's just a bunch of people talking about a certain subject, you know, that kind of thing. Of course, Thursday is Necro Thursday, which is the day you're listening to this show. Friday, we have Break the Apocalypse featuring John, oh, John Draper, not Skindado. Just keep, yes. keep that in mind. Yeah. Sunday, the Lord's Day, Carl Hikara brings you Soul Knox. And I'm I'm actually gonna be on uh, an episode of that coming up. So, you know, check it out. And nice. once uh yeah, once you're done with this, head over there and we got you covered pretty much uh six out of seven days of the week. On Saturday, go out, you know, the weather's getting nice, take in some vitamin D through the sun, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. And uh, I should mention, I am going to be on uh, Horror Wolf 666 as a guest. I think we're going to talk next week. Awesome. That's great, man. Yeah, it should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. So this week's episode, we're actually going to be covering something that was on your, and, I, and I'm still protesting this, by the way. <laughs> hey, man. It on counts. your, your uh, 2022 uh, top films list. And of course, we're talking yes. about uh, Bull. You know, which yes. showed up on your list, but based on the information I have, this movie came out in 2021. But I, you know, what do I know? Hey, uh, okay, I think I explained this on the uh, <laughs> uh, when, when I put it on my list. Uh, it, it did get re- a UK release in 2021, but its American release was not till 2022. So it counts as a 2022 movie for me, uh, much like uh, Old Boy. I think it got its uh, Korean release in something like 2004, but that movie was on every 2005 uh, top 10 film list in 2005. So that was that was my justification. All right? if, if we didn't see it, we didn't get it uh, until that year, then it counts as that year. All right, and, fair, fair, uh, fair enough. I'm just a little salty because it, I would I would have put it on my list because I love this movie so much. Yeah, well, yeah, you're the one who told me about it. I had no <laughs> idea this movie existed, <laughs> and you you were uh, really really hyped on it. So I watched it and was like, "Holy shit, this is fucking great!" And uh, we even recorded an episode about yeah, it. Actually, that, we, Mike? this is this is true. We. This is the lost episode that we're re-recording because um, my computer crashed and this wasn't saved up on the on the draw on the iCloud. So um, yeah, this is pr- it was a a fucking mess actually. <laughs> but now we're getting to it, you know. Yeah, and you know, happy to talk about it because it made me uh, rewatch it again this morning actually, and um, that would be the third time I've watched this, and it still feels fresh. It's still you you know like I'm still discovering new things things about it. Yeah, I picked up the UK uh, Blu-ray release of this too. I think I, yeah, I, I think I might have posted some photographs of it. It's a really nice package, you know, with like a book and all this other stuff associated with it. It's great, deserving of such a release too. Um, but yeah, over here, I don't know. Maybe in the UK, people feel different about it. Over here, I don't know anyone that even knows this movie exists other than our little crew. And if you guys, or this sounds like something you're into, check it out on Showtime while it's on Showtime. You know, it's it's been yes. on there for a while. And actually, Rennie, our uh, you know our quality control manager, Rennie, yes, is the one who told me about it. So it's on Showtime. Definitely check it out. You don't have to rent it or anything like that. You know. Yeah, or you can rent it on Amazon for less than three dollars. So if you got three dollars burning a hole in your pocket. 
um, do you know, and you don't have Showtime, check it out. Well, let's do some of the technical stuff first. So the movie yes. is uh, 88 minutes long. So in, in a world where movies are now one hour and 40 minutes long, this movie is 88 minutes. So there you go. Right yeah. there. Right there. I'm still I'm impressed by that. Uh, directed and written by Paul Andrew Williams, a guy that I've never even heard of before. No, me neither. Yeah, and I looked up his um, filmography, and it's a bunch of stuff in there, but I haven't seen any of it. Yeah, me neither. And none of it even looks like it's even in the same genre as this film. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. So uh, the starring, you know, the cast includes... Neil Maskell as Bull. Now that you guys will remember, it maybe not, but you should remember Neil from uh, Kill List. Yes, you know he's he he's him and Michael Smiley are like the the main dudes in that. We have David Heyman as Norm, his father-in-law. Tamsin Althwaite as Sharon, and Lois Braben Platt as Gemma, his uh, his wife or. You know, technically, I guess it is his wife. Yeah, technically, yeah. Yeah. Um, and th- those are the main characters. There's uh, he has a son, Aiden, but he's played by like a, a young actor. And then uh, there's like a a time jump. So there's two different people playing him. Yeah this this movie kind of goes back and forth between the present and ten years into the past, and uh, maybe a little confusing for people at first. But you um. This movie really uh, sets up its world very, very well. Um, not a lot of exposition or anything like that. It just sort of throws you right into this. Um, movie opens up with like a smoldering kind of hole. And then you're right in a car with Bull. And then one of the more interesting scenes, you know, Bull's looking for a gun. He's got a, you know, the guy's got a gun for him, but only three bullets. Um, it just, again, I just thought it was interesting that like, UK crime movies are so much different than American crime movies, wouldn't, wouldn't you say? Well, you know, it's, I was going to bring that up because um, gun violence is, is a, it's a different trip over in the UK. Like people get stabbed or like beaten to death or get cut up with like glasses and stuff like that. Yeah. That's more how people get fucked up in, in the UK. Um, and he, the fact that it, he had to go all these lengths to get a gun and it's got three bullets. And then there's the... Um, the Ben Wheatley movie, uh, down, what is it, Down Terrace? Down Terrace, yeah. Yeah, great movie. Th- this movie has a lot of similarities with Ben, Wheatley, ben Wheatley's work in general, and specifically that movie and, and Kill List, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And getting a gun, like, in Down Terrace was, like, a whole other thing. Like, in the States, like, over here, I could probably get a handgun in, like, maybe two hours from now if I could probably yeah. have one in my possession if I wanted to. You know what I mean? Yeah. You'd probably just knock on one of my neighbor's doors. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's a different thing. And it kind of uh, may, I always think like uh, the UK crime movies are a little bit more brutal because it's not like gun violence. It's it's a little bit more personal and up close violence. With a gun, you can shoot someone from you know, far away. Or you don't have to, you know, stab someone. You really got to be close you gotta get you gotta get in there and it's so much more visceral and disturbing and um i'm just gonna say it right now we're gonna spoil this movie okay yeah we're gonna yeah okay 
Sure. And it's not about that. The, the story is simple. This movie is very, very... It's not even about the story, really. It's about the whole atmosphere and the brutality and just the acting, you know, and just the characters. That's really what this is about. The story is very, very straightforward. It is. It, it, it's almost like I don't quite understand how this movie works so well. It is perfect. 88 minutes long does not wear out its welcome at all, and it doesn't feel rushed. And it's not really a ton of plot or exposition or, or even there's not even like a ton of dialogue in the movie. Um, but man, it just works. It is so efficient and there's not an ounce of fat on this movie. Well, let's give some context as to who uh, bull actually is. So, yes. So bull is a, you know, a, a contract killer essentially, and he's involved with a crime family and norm is the main man in the crime family. Bull marries norm's daughter, Gemma. And there's two daughters. There's Gemma and Sharon. Okay. Mm. And so now he's connected, not as only an employee, but he's a, a relative to the, the the patriarch of the of the crime family. Yes. Now, as uh, you know, as you can imagine, the, the two daughters, and specifically Gemma, are a bit of uh, they're kind of like wildcats. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and Norm is all about his blood family, like his family. Like he doesn't give a shit about anybody except for his daughters, really. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Everyone's expendable, uh, you know, everyone's collateral damage, doesn't matter. He just cares about them. Now, the yeah. I, later later on, I want to comment on that too. There's some, there's like only, if I could say a, not even a flaw, but one leap that you have to make is something that comes up later with Gemma and, and the father. And I will get to that though. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it sort of uh, sets up this another like kind of difference I've noticed in like a film like this in Down Terrace is crime is not really glamorous in in this in this movie or the, kind of like most British crime. It's very like low rent kind of. It's not like this like swanky gangster like nice suits, nice restaurants. You know, really high class. It, it's very like low rent, low class like. It doesn't seem like a big organized crime ring. You know, this is not John Gotti and, and his family. This is just this one guy, this one crew, and he's just this menacing, menacing dude. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and it, it's there, there's a whole like subgenre of films that, and this loosely fits into it. I mean, this has supernatural elements to it, but you know, like even that movie, The Stranger. You know, with with uh, with Sean Harris in it and and Joel Edgerton, the Australian oh, Australian film, yeah, like Australia those those style of Australian films and these British, you know, hard cunt movies like this, you know, yeah, are like they have such a similar vibe because you get the sense that a lot of these these like crime families, they're on the lower end of things, like you were mentioning. But there's this sense of a hierarchy that goes higher, further up the ladder. And these guys are definitely on the lower rung of the ladder. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you mentioned that Bull was a contract killer. I got the vibe that he was uh, Norm's muscle. Yeah, like, maybe I misspoke that. Yeah, he was definitely like a, a heavy in the crime family. So he's not like some, you know, um, freelance killer guy. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you realize right from the beginning that Bull is on a mission for revenge. And 
I mean, I mean, revenge films are kind of a dime a dozen now, aren't they, Mike? I mean, like, you, it's like it's almost like fucking the McDonald's of, of genre movies. You know, you can go anywhere and get a, a you know burger from McDonald's or something like that. But uh, every once in a while, you know, you get something like this, like a real, real gem that 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 does it a little bit differently. And even though it is so straightforward, it 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 leaves you thinking. It gives you a lot to think about in the end. You know, this movie is a, like doesn't really quite judge any of the characters really um, at all. This is just kind of presents it as it is. It's a crime family. This is a guy who is a bad guy who feels he was very wrong and he's going to do something about it. So there's been um like about a ten year period, and and the, yeah, the, ten years. The, the movie goes forward like in two different two different timelines you know so there's like it starts in this the present time where you see bull trying to get his gun he starts catching up with some of these people and they're just like how are you here you know at first yeah first viewing you're like what the fuck you know this guy go away he went to the states or can't you know went away somewhere for like 10 years but you're starting to as time goes on and the, the, between the two different storylines, it starts to paint a picture of what happened in the past. You know, um, you know, one of the first people that he kills is uh, Sharon and her husband. And he's like, yeah, it turns out that he's looking for Aiden, his son, you know, and Gemma because he wants, you know, fucking his, the thing about Bull. And I guess this parallels Norm, the same love that Norm has for his daughters, you know, this like ride or die, like love for his, yeah. his family bull has that for aiden you know bull genuinely loves his son and wants only the best things for him and that's what you get right away in this in the sketch of his character yeah and and like norm nothing matters to norm except for his kids and uh, yeah bull is somewhat of a mirror image of, of him the only thing that matters to him is Aiden, and he kind of expressed it he, he, even later in the film. He kind of actually says that that like uh, you know, like she can take everything. I just Aiden is he like he basically says the only thing that matters to him. Yeah. So through the flashbacks, we kind of see the the dissolution of of Bull's relationship with Gemma. You know, the the that's a funny scene though when they have the first flashback where it's everything's in slow mo. Yeah, I did notice. Yeah, there's a little bit of like a sense of humor. It was like overly stylish, or like it doesn't fit in with the rest of the movie until much later at the end. There is a very stylized slow motion shot, which, I, I, not a complaint, but just like, huh, interesting, <laughs> you know. But yeah, yeah, I caught that too. Yeah, where you know they're at this cookout, you know, and and this is when things are sort of on the outs, where you see Bull interacting with, um, you know, his, his son. And, and, you know, Gemma's there, Sharon's there, and a lot of the crew are at this cookout. And, of course, Norm is manning the grill, you know. Yeah, because he, he's in charge of everything. He's in charge. You get that sense. Yeah. yeah. So he has a word with Bull, and that's when you, uh, you kind of realize, like, you know, Gemma's been planting these seeds of discontent. You know, like, he asked Bull straight off, have you been uh, mucking about with anyone <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know meaning you know that that's uh if he's seen anyone on the side and bull is like no you know i could barely keep her happy my whole mission is like just you know taking care of your daughter or whatever you know right now at that point you kind of see her like she, she's the one who actually straying out of outside of the relationship 
Yeah. And Gemma's a piece of work, <laughs> wouldn't you say? She reminds me of about, I don't know, six or seven women that I've known in, in Boston. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, she's like the, 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 the version of like uh, UK's version of like trailer park kind of. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah, know yeah what, totally. You know what I mean? I think they have their own word for it over there. Um, yeah, Gemma is just sort of like, you know, you can tell she's sick of bull and she wants him like, she's, she's devising this sort of, plan to get him out of the picture yeah like oh bull's cheating on me daddy or you know things like that and you learn that like Gemma, yeah she's stepping out she's also a junkie yes and again in 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 bull's mind now i I don't think bull and norm like like we we talked about are that different no like you would not you would think norm would have a huge problem with his daughter behaving like this but norm sort of gives it gives it a pass because it's his daughter now this is the one now i guess it'd be a good time to bring up my one little tiny gripe about this thing it's like you know norm is willing to go to whatever lengths he can to make sure his daughter's happy okay yeah now uh at some point bull reveals to him that she's she's a junkie now don't you think that Norm would have like murdered every single person who ever sold heroin to her? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And he would have like straightened it out like in his own brutal way. I think that now that's the only thing that you, you got to make a little bit of a leap for that. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. No. Yeah, I get that. Which is interesting because Bull kind of does the very same thing uh, later in the film. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, Norm is one of the most, not a huge part, but really, really well played by the actor. I'm sorry, I forgot his name. Um, there's something about a really nice old man, someone you would see walking, that like a guy walking, oh, look at this old guy. You know, you wouldn't really give it too much of a thought, but he is a fucking monster. And he does it through very subtle things in his performance. You know, not at, like, never really like blows up or loses. It's like a quiet rage with him. Yeah, uh, David Heyman. That's the guy's name. Ah, okay. I don't know if I've seen him in anything, but he's fantastic in this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And once again, you know, when we used to live in Boston, right? You go through some <laughs> some of these neighborhoods like that that are filled with all these Irish people, you know, Irish Americans. You know, not to you know, you guys out there in Ireland are different different thing. Yeah, <laughs> Irish Americans here in Massachusetts, particularly Boston Irish, particularly Boston Irish. You'd yeah. see you'd see some of these old guys, man. I, I I would see guys like that. You know what I mean? Like, like I I never spent a whole lot of time in South Boston, but like I I've been through that area a fair amount of times, and like you'd see these old guys, man, and you just like they just got something in their eyes. You know what I mean? And, and that's yeah. that's pretty much like what what Norm's character is. He's like. You, I would walk by some old man, and I'm like, that guy's taking li- lives. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> yeah. There's just something in in you have to have look something the way they look at you. You can just tell, like, yeah, this old timer means fucking business. Yeah. Um, and a, a great scene that really shows the uh, the range of like how just how methodical and evil Norm is is the scene. Okay, so a couple people have died now. Um. You, you know, also, you got the sense that uh, of the two daughters Norm has, he really cares about Gemma the most because his other daughter is killed at the beginning of the film. And he does, he's upset, but he seems more upset of like, this is, 
you don't do this. This is my daughter. He doesn't seem upset like, oh, I lost a daughter. You know what I mean? Yeah, she's definitely daddy's girl, Gemma, for sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe that's why she's enabled to do some of the things that she's done, you know? Yeah, because yeah, Gemma sort of manipulates Norm in, in a way. It's like almost like Gemma's running the show in, in a strange way in the, in the past time frame, in the, not in the current one. You know what I mean? Right. You could see she she uh, he had uh, she had his ear. I could say I should say. Now, one thing I want to bring up though, which I I want to know what your thoughts are on this, and it's a minor thing, but it's just part of the just the color of of the characterization. The um, whenever you see Norm and his crew, they have like these uh, like work vests on and stuff. Like yes, they like these like they look like flagmen or something. Guys that do like highway work now. Do you think that like crime is like a side business for them or that's just their thing? They're like the crime crew that has like the, the, the road worker gear on. Oh, I would uh, much like, you know, like the, the, the mafia in, in America, you know how they have their hands <laughs> in like, you know, sanitation and things like that. I, I thought it was something like that. Like they've got some like roadside crew that's also sort of like you know some way to like cover up their their crime or their their oh right their, yeah. uh, like do like laundering their crimes through that yeah, you know what okay. i mean like I how got you. like how tony soprano Supran- yeah he has yeah like exactly the, the uh, I mean, trash yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know like, gotcha gotcha okay i was yeah that, that, that's what i took away from that <laughs> I, I could be off base but that's that's what i was thinking it feels like there was a subplot uh cut from this movie i'll say that like um they really took it to another level, though, with the believability of that, that these guys are like uh, road workers, though, you know, because like Norm, yeah. Norm's actually wearing the gear of a guy that's like a flagman or something like that at certain points of the film. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you know, they, they probably got to, you know, have some legit income or like <laughs> or some sort of front for their illegal income. Uh, you do get a hint that like, they're somehow involved in the um, in the meat business, too. That seems like you know, a, that's that seems like a sketchy business to be involved in meat. Yeah, and that you you used to get a great scene of like how menacing Bull is, and and Norm too, where he's like you know trying to force a guy to sign a contract, and then Bull cuts his fingers off, and Norm says, "You were gonna sign that anyway. Why'd you make me do that?" <laughs> <laughs> Which one of the best scenes in the movie? But the, the scene I want to talk about with you, Mike, is that 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 shows. Uh, norm in his in his words it's the scene with bull's mother oh man dude oh dude so yeah so like at this point bull has killed a few of norm's guys and of course norm being norm takes it personally and he thinks this is crazy bull can't be back they don't tell you why they don't tell you why at this point but like norm's like no bull bull can't be back it can't be him so his in his mind he goes to bull's mother for answers, thinking this has everything to do with her. And he comes to her as a friend. And by the end of the scene, you like Norm shows his true colors to Bull's mother. Like this whole like, oh, nice. Uh, let's have a cup of tea. Uh, like that, that front goes out the window almost immediately when he's like, what the fuck is going on? This has something to do with you. And he's, and he says something. So he's like, I'm going to cut you till I find out or something like that. It was really chilling yeah and even the guys in his crew are like you sure about this norm you know like to them they were just like ah, you know this is like an old lady this is like you know bulls used to be part of our crew this is his mom you know like it just yeah and then it, it's just so brutal you know and and that's like 
the the part of the film where you start actually really despising Norm as a person, you know? Right. Well, everyone in this movie is a bad guy. Bull is the anti-hero, but he's not a good person. No, he's definitely not a good guy at all. But you you want you you looking forward to when Norm gets his uh, you know, just desserts though, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the first lines you hear from Bull when someone goes, "Where have you been?" he goes, "I I'm in I was in hell." Uh, that line has more resonance than you expected later on in the movie. But so uh yeah. Uh, another interesting thing about that scene, Bull is Bull. This is what the one part that I was like, I need to, to go over this with Mike. I wonder what he thinks. Bull lets this happen. He does with his mom because he's creeping he out in in the woods. Like he's like barely concealed by the the greenery, <laughs> and like he watches, he observes him going into his mother's house. Yeah, that's such a great scene. By the way, the way it's shot, all one take, and you realize. I rewound it. Like he's there the whole time. <laughs> yeah, like you barely notice him at first, you know. And then, yeah. then they they kind of like zoom in a little bit on him, and then I'm like, oh, geez, look at this guy. Yeah. So why do you think he let he let that happen? And then basically, like Norm leaves the mom for dead, uh, but she's not dead. And Bull, I I got the sense that Bull took care of it, like finished the job. Yeah. Well, he asked her, "Is like, do you want me to help you?" You know, like. Because he can ah, see that okay. she's mortally wounded, and you know they they show him looking at her wounds, and she's like bleeding out. You know what I mean? She's got like internal like injuries or something from the. Stem. It was a mercy killing, then. Yeah. Yeah. So he like suffocates her, you know, which is a pretty. That's not like an easy way to kill somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's Suffocate. very. <laughs> yeah, and especially your own mother. Yeah. Um, why do you think Bull let that happen? Why do you think he couldn't? He didn't stop Norm right then and there. He had him. That's a good question. You know, I, I, I've been trying to figure that out myself. Is like he had everything in his power to take out the entire crew at that point. Right. You know, but, Which, but he wouldn't have known where Gemma and Aiden were, though, if he'd killed everybody. Yeah, that was his main goal. Killing everyone was inevitable. Uh, but his main goal was Aiden. Although, another interesting thing, and I didn't write down the, uh, the characters, he lets one guy live. Yeah, uh, I forgot that guy's name too, but he does let that let that one guy live. And that is such a menacing scene too, where Bull kind of rolls up on this dude, dude, uh, and Norm's crew with his two kids, and Bull is just antagonizing him and his kids, basically threatening them, like, "Look at you, little piggies, and you must be daddy piggy." <laughs> well, that's that's so... also the guy that I think Bull perceives as being the weakest out of all of them. Because remember when when it actually comes down. To the meeting with Norm, and that dude, yes. the guy, the same guy that he lets live, is sitting next to Norm. He's like, "What are you doing here?" You know, he's yeah. Like, and then he goes to like glass him or something like that. He pulls the knife, the the glass back, like he's gonna cut him with it. Yeah, like he's gonna stab. Yeah, he's basically a joke to Bull. Yeah, uh, I, I I got that sense, and you get the sense that that guy was the weakest link too, because when they throw Bull in the trunk, he goes, "Sorry, mate," or something like that. You know, like he's probably the nice guy of the crew. The funniest part, though, is when he, he's with uh, the guy's kids, you know, and Bull's in the bumper car with his son. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the son the son is, like, laughing and having, like, a great time. He's like, oh, the, you know, Uncle Bull, you know, this is great. <laughs> it's like, I thought that was, there, there is a little bit of humor in this, too. And mainly oh. towards the end, there's some humorous parts. 
you know. Yeah, dude, I thought that scene was hilarious too because the kid's having like the time of his life. <laughs> Bull just is like mad dogging the guy like the whole time. <laughs> and they got these like fucking cotton candy sticks. Um, yeah, I, I just felt terror for that guy. Like he's standing there with a fucking like <laughs> this demon after him. <laughs> it's literally, literally a demon. And now I guess we'll spill the beans about some of this stuff. Is uh, yeah. Is um okay. So through a series of flashbacks, we see that you know Gemma wants out of the relationship, so she manipulates and she wants to keep Aiden. Okay. Yeah. Now, at this point, she's uh hooked on heroin. And she's like living that low life, you know. And I wonder why she even wanted to hang on to Aiden. It's more out of like a vindictiveness against Bull. That that's what they. Uh, I, that's kind of the conclusion I came to as well. She does not care about Aiden, and she doesn't care about the guy she's cheating on Bull with. We learned that that she dumped him pretty quick. Yeah, and she um, she also abandons Aiden too, as we see. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's totally out of spite. It has yeah. to be. So she's um. You know, Bull gets abducted by uh, by the crew, and they they bring him out to um to a caravan. You know, that's a trailer for us in the states here. Um, <laughs> and Norm kind of lays it on him. It's like, look, you got a choice, man. You know, you either leave, we never see you again, or you know, we're gonna we're gonna take care of you. You know. I uh, yeah, and I love Bull's answer uh, when Norm asks, like, oh, be honest, or like, what what would you do if you get out of this? And Bull uh, says, honestly, and then Norm goes, you're an honest guy. <laughs> Bull's like, I'll fucking kill all of you. <laughs> and uh, Norm's like, yeah, I thought so. <laughs> like, yeah, it's kind of funny. It is funny. You know, and then they bring Gemma in there, you know, and, and it's like that scene in, uh, you know, in some like Roman gladi- gladiator uh, scene where the, it's either the thumbs up or the thumbs down, you know. And she's yeah. like. I want to see him burn or some brutal thing, you know? So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So brutal. Yeah. It, it, you feel for Bull in this scene. You really do. Bull doesn't seem afraid to die at all. He's not worried. He knows he's going to die. But his sadness comes from what's going to happen to Aiden. He knows the past he's Aiden's going to go on without him in his life. Yes. With just the mother and Norm writing things. That's the only sadness from, from Bull. Bull's accepted his fate at, at, at that moment, but you still feel for him. It's a brutal scene. Like someone you married to, the the your wife, the mother of your child, just complete betrayal like that. It's uh it's brutal. Yeah, I mean my ex girlfriend, like I don't you know, I wouldn't want to see her burned alive. <laughs> You know what I mean? um, yeah, exactly. But yeah, Gemma wants to see just that. I mean, not even like, like, not even shooting him, burning him alive. That's so. Ugh. I mean, that is a serious fuck you to him. And um, again, another moment where we see that gangster is sort of we bull comes flying out of the trailer on fire, and and one of the guys like, please just shoot him. You know, this isn't you know like he has a sense of morality. Like this is not a good way to die. Again, maybe that's why Bull spared him. I don't know. Could be, yeah, that he was the yeah. only one with like a, a a shred of decency out of everyone. Yeah, and, and you really, this scene also really makes you hate Gemma even more. Like what, like why, like she would be on an episode of Cops over here in America if she was a real person. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, Absolutely, man. 
getting arrested for like fucking being drunk in front of like you know on a front lawn. <laughs> yeah, totally fucking yeah, the <laughs> shirt half on. Um, she brings Aiden to her father, her, uh, Aiden's father's execution, to Bull's execution, and even Norm is like, "What the fuck is he doing here?" And Gemma's like, "Well, what else was I gonna do with him?" And yeah. that moment really, really made me hate that character. Totally, man. Like she's like the worst of the worst. So now, yeah, so like, now we know what what happened to Bull, okay? And we know ten years later, he has uh, arisen from from the gates of hell yes. to seek revenge and hopefully, uh, you know, some retribution for his son. You know, yeah, he's basically like an evil version of the crow. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, very much. Yeah, so the, I, the angel of death, yeah. <laughs> you know, coming for revenge. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it's so, the way, like, even, like, he kind of, like, there's so much peripheral damage in this movie, too. Like, the the mother, the like, some of the, the, the people who were just dating these gangsters or, like, you know, just anyone in Bull's way is just like, you're going to die. Right? He even contemplated killing those, that guy's kids at one point. <laughs> yeah. He's like, don't hurt my kids. He's like, oh, I haven't decided yet. <laughs> he's thinking about I mean, it, though. Yeah, he's thinking about it. Or maybe he was just telling that to scare the shit out of him. Who knows? But I would not put anything past his character. Um, he, he comes up with the idea to track down Gemma and Aiden through a local heroin dealer, which he meets through like some sort of ecstasy dealer. Like You see Bull in a club, and he spots a guy who's like, you know, okay, this guy sells drugs. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. you don't sell heroin? Who does? You know? <laughs> and he basically, uh, what he does to the heroin dealer, oh my God. I mean, <laughs> it's pretty brilliant, though. It's, um, I love, he just like strong arms the, the, the ecstasy dealer into bringing him to the heroin dealer. And then, yeah. and this is like, this reminds me a lot like a Ben Wheelie scene, though, this scene. Yes. Because it's totally, like, yeah. very, like, you know, very obvious uh, characterization here. Like the heroin dealer is like, yeah, it's like older guy. He's probably one of these like remote, like dudes who sits higher up and has everyone else doing his dirty work for him. You know? Yeah. He's like totally. drinking a, but he, like a protein drink or something, you know? Yeah. He's clearly a very eccentric kind of guy too, you know? He's also sort of aloof. He does not realize the, the danger he's in by being in Bull's presence. Yeah. Now Bull... Instead of interrogating him like th with threats, he just straight off like cuts his fucking hand off. Like, it's like he's just like I don't got time for the, the like you know interrogate this guy. I'm just gonna break him first. And so he like completely breaks this guy's will like right off the bat. Cuts his hand off, cauterizes the wound, and the guy is like in shock. And he just extracts the information out of him as to where to find Gemma. Yeah, and then uses him as a decoy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Basically, he he gets this guy killed for for no reason other than just being a heroin dealer. But like you, like the bull's rage for what heroin did to you know, to to Gemma and his son was just like I, he's got no sympathy for this drug dealer whatsoever. None. That's a good move, though. To just break the guy right away. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then yeah, and then use him as a decoy. <laughs> Um, which brings us to the other like slow motion part where Norm thing, you know, is, is kind of, uh, some of the, uh, gun violence in this movie. Norm has a shotgun and he's sort of creeping into Gemma's house 
uh, to, to kind of, I don't know, to see if she's okay. And we see in very slow motion uh, Norm accidentally discharge his shotgun and shooting his own daughter. But doesn't kill her, though. He just wounds no. her, though. Yeah. That's definitely like some Guy Ritchie shit right there. You know what I mean? Yeah, the slow motion for sure. Yeah, yeah the humor yeah. of it too, like, is very, like, you know, again, like something you'd see. Like, it's very British. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. And um, like, a, like a Wheatley, like Guy Ritchie kind of thing for sure. Yeah, totally. Are you a Guy Ritchie fan? I am, actually. I like, I like most of his stuff. Yeah, I like that last one he did with, uh, it was really dark. I thought the, Bank robber. Yeah, you told me about that one. He has another movie coming out, apparently. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah hit or miss for me. But anyway. Um, yeah, and again, all these, these awful people, he, uh, you almost feel bad from the way Bold dispatches. He, he seems to have a habit of dispatching someone in front of their loved one. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's sort of a pattern with him. Uh, I didn't feel bad about him killing Norm, though, man. Not real well, you know. Norm says you got hell to look. He says to Norm, "You've got hell to look forward to." When when Norm asks him, "How is this possible?" Uh, which I thought was just such a, a brutally sinister line. Uh, like you're gonna die. There's nothing you can do about it. And he kills him by sitting on him. <laughs> I mean, in front of his daughter. His daughter. The daughter is begging for Norm's life, not begging for her own, but begging for um, her father's life and. Bull is just sitting on him to suffocate him. I, I mean, there's a dark sense of humor running throughout this movie for sure. And of course, uh, we, you know, after after Gemma gives up, where uh, the fine Aiden? Do you think Bull is enjoying any of this? Like, you don't get a sense he's getting a lot of joy from this. Like, he, the, the killing is just like I have to do this. That my son is the main goal. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that wherever wherever he's existing, like his his spirit exists, it's beyond any any happiness or joy. These are just tasks that he needs to do, and the only thing that would make him content is to know that his son Aiden is at least alive and has a, a, a fighting chance at having a normal life. You know? Yeah, and it's at that point like we realize. The movie shows, this is my one nitpick, that it's a supernatural movie. Uh, you see that this entire time, Bull's eyes are black, uh, which was hidden from the audience, but not from the, the, not from the people in the film. They see him for what he truly is. The audience doesn't, but they do. Um, I could have done without the flashbacks to previous scenes showing that Bull's eyes were black. I could have... I would have much liked it if they just showed him in that moment in the church with his black eyes, and then you're like, "Oh, okay, he really is dead." Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't need to have the black eyes at all. Actually, just like you know, I mean, the scene actually at the end with the, when, well, okay, so he locates his son Aiden, and he's on the street, basically, you know, homeless, on drugs. Yeah, and he brings him to uh, a church. And, uh, you know, to, to help him get better. And he has money. Money he stole from the drug dealer, actually. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome. Like, he's like, the, the ex guy, he sends him out. He's like, keep the pills, leave the money. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. He throws the ex dealer a bone. <laughs> yeah. You, you, can, you can take the drugs. Just leave me the cash. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he collects up his son, Aiden. 
and brings him to a church to uh and that's when the, the priest sees him as who's a woman by the way i didn't realize yeah. women and can be uh, priests i didn't know that oh a vicar, a vicar. Uh, maybe it, yeah ah i don't okay. know i don't know if there's a difference there all might right. be okay all right yeah um yeah so she sees him and she's like there's this fucking demon here you know this thing from hell yeah that's all i needed i didn't need to see the black eyes either you know obviously okay he was killed he was burned alive he came back from the dead he was in hell and now he's like, you know, finished his mission here on Earth in the mortal plane. And then he's going away, going back to hell, probably. Yeah, you see him back at the hole he was buried in at the end of the movie, which I thought was a really nice touch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's my one complaint, the flashbacks to earlier. I was like, ah, I, I just don't like it in general where like the movie's like, see, we fooled you. Um because really, it's not even that big of a twist. The movie really kind of tells you what it is all throughout the movie. You know, you learn uh, like that, you know, he, okay, this guy is, was murdered. He's dead. <laughs> He's a spirit of vengeance. You, you, you kind of know exactly. Like, there's no real, even though we spoiled the shit out of this movie for everyone, you know that he's, um, like, you definitely know what's going to happen in this film. It's never, like, in question. And it's all just a matter of how is this going to happen? Like, what's the, you know, the the pathway towards this inevitable end? And that, that's like, that's why I can watch this movie like seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. I can watch this movie every few months and still enjoy it. Yeah, I, it is so good. So efficient. Not an ounce of fat on it. Uh, really well acted, man. Uh, we have to start referring to Neil Mescal as the great Neil Mescal. Yeah, dude, because fucking- he's amazing so good man you know and like it's it's almost like if you want to have a good night of double features you watch this and kill list you know what i mean and uh the only thing that would have made this movie better is if michael smiley was in it too <laughs> yeah it's like one of like the fuck he would have made he you know what he would have been great as the heroin dealer yes he would have been excellent as the heroin dealer <laughs> yeah yeah it would have been fucking perfect uh yeah man like Obviously not related to Kill List, but there are some very you know similar themes and uh, ideas going on, um, and of course, both centered by a great performance from Neil Mescal, who probably is a very nice guy in real life, but like is very good at playing these really just fucking unhinged lunatics. Yeah, totally, and and um, it's just. That that ultra realism, you know, even though this is a supernatural film, it definitely fits in line with like a lot of these other sort of gritty, you know, pseudo realistic crime films. Yeah, totally. And even though, yeah, it has a supernatural element, it never goes over the top. There's no CGI or anything like that, or like yeah, you know, demons taking him to hell or anything like that. It's just very like it's very very grounded. Yeah, there really isn't any special effects aside from like you know, like some violence, you know, like the hands getting cut off, like you know, yeah, that kind of stuff. Just like you know, your basic gore effects that would happen in any kind of like crime-related film. Totally. So uh, I remember what we gave our uh, gave it originally. Have you changed your mind at all? What what do you, what do you give this at the end of the day? I give it a five out of five, man. I do too. Yeah, I originally gave it a four point uh, four point five, but. After watching it again this morning, I was, you know what? This movie is pretty much perfect. And it ages like a fine wine, if you will. 
You know, it really, you can watch it and it's not something that you see the holes necessarily. It's like you can rewatch it and still enjoy it. And that's what I mean. Like I, I'll, that's, you know, that's why it was a Blu-ray purchase. Like some sort of like, you know, I threw some, some money down for this because I got like some, you know, special edition UK thing, you know, with a book and everything. So I'm, I'm all about this movie. Oh yeah. Me too, man. And it, I, I, it's a shame. Most people don't know it exists. I, don't talk to many people who have seen it or heard of it. I've managed to um, turn a few people onto it. Like uh, we both have talking about it on the podcast. I think this is, we've mentioned it two or three times before actually covering it. Yeah. I don't know if Mike's seen this yet, but I know he should. I know that. Oh, he's got to see this. Yeah. Rennie's the one who told me about it. So he's seen it. Our uh, mutual friend, Selden Hunt. I, I uh, recommended this to him and he's, he quite enjoyed it. So, yeah. It's, it's, oh yeah, uh, this is totally up Selden's alley. Yeah. yeah, I missed that guy. Yeah, he's actually turned me on to a bunch of cool, like Australian, like hard-boiled, like crime movies. Oh man, Selden, Selden's the best for that. We we talked movies for hours. He he uh, did a tour with us in uh, ISIS. Yeah. He was our lighting guy, which you know he never actually did the lights, but technically he was our lighting guy. <laughs> I could see him being in one of these movies actually. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you didn't know Selden, you just saw him, you might be afraid of him. <laughs> and he's got very, like, just like, that, that fucking hard ass, like Australian accent too, man. Yeah. He's also almost seven feet tall. So, <laughs> you know, he's got that going for him, but he's the nicest guy ever. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Perfect five for me. Uh, everyone needs to watch this. It, it, like, I, I don't see how anyone can find deep flaws in this movie or not find it at least somewhat enjoyable. Uh, it is relentlessly dark. It is brutal and violent. Also really funny in, at times uh, without going over the top in any aspect. It doesn't go over the top in any aspect. Um, yeah, this this is fantastic. This will be... This will, uh, when, we, when we're talking about the great horror movies of the... Of the you know, the last 25 years, this, this will be, this will be a mention as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, actually, you know, I've been compiling a list cause I'm trying to like write something for the first quarter of the new you know century about, you know, post millennial horror, you know, and, and this yeah. is in the same chapter as kill list as it should be. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. And thank you for turning me on to this. This is now one of my, uh, it's now one of my favorites. All right, guys, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Bye. When I first came to London, I was only 16. With a fiver in my pocket and my old dancing bag. I went down to the dilly to check out the scene. But I soon ended up upon the old main drag. There the he-mails and the she-mails paraded in style And the old man with the money would flash you a smile In the dark of an alley you would work for a five For a swift one not the wrist down on the old main drag In the cold winds and nights the old town ends was chill there were boys in the cafes who'd give you cheap pills. If you didn't have the money, you'd cajole and you'd beg. 
There was always lots of chewing on the old main drag One evening as I was lying down in Leicester Square I was picked up by the coppers and kicked in the balls Between the metal doors at Vine Street I was beaten and mauled And I ruined my good looks for the old main drag In the tube station the old ones who were on the way out With trouble and vomit and gravel and shout And the coppers would come along and push them about And I wished I could escape from the old main drag And now I am lying here, I have had too much booze I've been spat on and shut on and raped and abused I know that I am dying and I wish I could beg For some money to take me from the old main drag <laughs> 